Well, if that piece doesn't get you roused in your spirit for the condescension of Christ, then you're hopelessly lost and repent and believe the gospel. It would be my word to you. So we're turning in the Word of God this morning to Isaiah, Isaiah chapter 40. A few further remarks as you're turning there. We were hoping to incorporate into our service this morning uh, something of a farewell for Logan and Amelia and Obadiah. And as you see from the bulletin, uh, he, Logan was meant to make a few remarks this morning before I got up to preach, uh, but they are not here. They have been unwell for a, a few days and unfortunately still have not recovered sufficiently to be with us this morning. So uh, there will be on Wednesday, so I encourage a solid best that you can muster turnout on Wednesday evening. Uh, there will be opportunity for him to speak on Wednesday. So please come on Wednesday. There will also be there's been a special cake made for the event as well. So that will be uh, enjoyed on Wednesday night after the service also. So keep that in mind and join with us on Wednesday night for what is normally our prayer time, but we will giving uh, Logan the opportunity to speak to us, express thanks and so on. Uh, but my message also was revolving around that factor as well. And so in the province of God, it's still in the series that we're doing through the text of Messiah. And so we'll see how we get on, but I've, I've, I've written a lot of this, thought of a lot of this with imagining Logan was somewhere where I could look at him and uh, speak to him. But uh, he's, I think, God willing, watching on the service this morning. So hopefully he will still receive benefit from it. But whatever, it will be of a help, I trust, to those of you that are preparing for ministry or have thoughts of ministry as well as to the congregation in general. And especially you might think of how to pray for Logan in the days ahead. So we're going to read Isaiah 40, the opening 11 verses. Let us hear the word of the Lord. Comfort ye, comfort ye my people, saith your God. Speak ye comfortably to Jerusalem, and cry unto her that her warfare is accomplished, that her iniquity is pardoned, for she hath received of the Lord's hand double for all her sins. The voice of him that crieth in the wilderness, Prepare ye the way of the Lord, make straight in the desert a highway for our God. Every valley shall be exalted, and every mountain and hill shall be made low, and the crooked shall be made straight, and the rough places plain. And the glory of the Lord shall be revealed, and all flesh shall see it together, for the mouth of the Lord hath spoken it. The voice said, Cry. And he said, What shall I cry? All flesh is grass, and all the goodliness thereof is as the flower of the field. The grass withereth, the flower fadeth, but the Spirit of the Lord bloweth upon it. Surely the people is grass. The grass withereth, the flower fadeth, but the word of our God shall stand forever. O Zion, that bringest good tidings, get thee up into the high mountain. O Jerusalem, that bringest good tidings, lift up thy voice with strength. Lift it up, be not afraid. Say unto the cities of Judah, Behold your God. Behold, the Lord God will come with strong hand, and his arms shall rule for him. Behold, his reward is with him and his work before him. He shall feed his flock like a shepherd. He shall gather the lambs with his arm and carry them in his bosom and shall gently lead those that are with young. Amen. Ending our reading at the end of the 11th verse. May the Lord bless his precious word to each of our hearts. Let's bow together in prayer. Seek the Lord. Our God, we are thankful for thy mercy to us, and we are grieved and sorrowing over those that are brokenhearted today. We pray for the Arnold family, that you'll graciously minister to them. And we think of our brother, Dr. Vaughn, as well. Remember him, whatever the particular need is, in his case, you'll draw near. We think also of Dr. Overly's father, and pray that you'll um, restore him to health, and give a prosperous journey to Paul as he makes his way up there. 
and many other burdens and needs that we have, we ask, you'll hear our prayers. God, come to us today. We're sad that Logan and Amelia aren't here, but again, thou dost overrule all things. And we pray that thy word will still prosper, not only in his heart or their hearts, but in all of us, that we might enjoy the nearness of thy presence. Above all things, we pray now, close us in with thyself and give the promised Holy Ghost to preacher and to listener and advance thy cause, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. In the next week or so, as we've mentioned, Logan and Amelia and Obadiah will leave this congregation, and it marks another milestone in the life of this church, and a good one, a positive one, the one that should be encouraging to us all. We're going to miss them dearly, and I would just say to you again, you know, we've said farewell to the Kellys. We're going to be saying farewell to the elders. These have been uh, very prominent and blessed uh, presences in our church, and so when we lose them, we need to be praying that God would replace them and give to us those of similar spirit in their absence. But there are some, at least I have heard of some, and have come across a few remarks from those that would desire that Logan and Amelia and Obadiah stay. You want them to stay here. And as I have heard remarks regarding that, and as I was in preparation for this morning, I was reminded of my own ordination, which is almost, was that, almost eight years ago now, hard to believe. But at my own ordination, uh, the, the clerk of session, uh, the, the brother of the Reverend John Hanna, many of you know John Hanna in Spain, or at least you're, know, you're aware of him and his ministry there, but his brother, Norman Hanna, was a clerk of session in the Sending Church, the church of which uh, Melanie and I were members. And he made some remarks at my ordination, and in his remarks he was, he was sort of saying about maybe I'm a little selfish, but I'm kind of sad to see uh, them going to Canada. I uh, wish they could stay here. And he made some remarks to that, uh, something like that anyway. And at the end of the service, uh, one who's well known to many of you here, Dr. Cairns was there to, to pray and give the benediction at the very end. And so he got up and he had a few remarks to say before he prayed, as you might imagine he would. And in that he said, you know, a lot of people are sad that the Tomassians are going, that Armand's going away to Canada. He said, as a member of the North American Presbytery, I am anything but sad. I am very happy about it. And then he went on to say, so rejoice with me and don't shed tears with Norman. And I thought about that. And I say it's the same to you. Rejoice with me in the sending of Logan and Amelia and Obadiah, and don't shed tears with those who want them to stay. We're very happy that they're going for the reasons that they are going, and it is cause for rejoicing as a church. A church needs to mature. It goes through its various stages, and part of its maturity is the privilege of sending people from her ranks away to go and do the work of God. In Acts chapter 11, we're given perhaps one of the brightest churches in all of the New Testament record given to us, the church of Antioch in Syria. And the, the development of that church, you, you may be aware, you, you come across it first in Acts chapter 11, is really through the influence of Barnabas and then Barnabas and Saul. And they labor there for some time. That church comes to maturity to the point when you come to chapter 13, the church has so advanced and matured and is knowing the blessing of God that the Lord comes and reveals His will to the church. Now, Paul has been, he's been praying and wondering what God's will for his life might be for, for probably 13 years or so by that stage because God had told him he would be a light to the Gentiles. And it hadn't quite come to pass specifically. And so the church is moved upon by the Spirit and the Spirit comes and says to the oversight of that church, reveals to them, separate me, Barnabas and Saul, for the work whereon to I have called them. What I, I want you to see from that is the privilege of the church as she matures, not in sending the ones that she can do without, but sending the cream of the crop. I mean, no church wants to say farewell to Paul or Barnabas. I mean, those are the people you want to keep and retain. And yet, the Spirit of God says, no, they must go. They must go. And so, if you esteem Logan and Amelia highly, as I know many of you do, it is in a similar fashion. We're sending 
the best of us. We're saying, not perfect, don't get me wrong, and I hope they're not sitting watching, getting big heads about what we're saying here, but, but, but good examples. They've been young people that have come in to the church, and over the last number of years that they've been here and members of this church, as Logan has labored faithfully, made himself available, has been a youth leader, became a deacon as well, has been faithful in his, his execution of that responsibility also, and has developed in his responsibilities as a preacher of the Word and all the rest of it. We're, we're very thankful very thankful for what God has done and for the example that they have led. And as they go away from us, it is encouraging to us. And I just say to those of you here that may kind of sit on the fringes, we, we need you, the church needs you, the kingdom of Christ needs you to have a mentality similar that was possessing Logan and Amelia. Come into the church, throw your weight behind it, put your back into it, make yourself available and see what doors God would open up for you and to you. And so as they take their leave of us in a few days, in our series we come to Isaiah 40 verse 11, and I, 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 th- I thought, well, this is perfect. How perfect is this in the province of God? He shall feed his flock like a shepherd. He shall gather the lambs with his arm and carry them in his bosom and shall gently lead those that are with young this chapter is full of comfort for God's people. The, the, the people of God are going through a tough time. And you come to Isaiah 40 and it immediately opens up with themes of comfort ye, comfort ye my people. And the way in which they receive comfort is not by change of circumstance, but by looking to their God. It is amazing how a sight of God and the glories of who He is and what He has done can change our whole frame and feeling amidst our challenges and difficulties in life. And you come to verse 10, you have this great statement concerning the Lord and His power and His strength, strong hand and His arms shall rule for Him. It's language of, of sovereign, language of king, and then it shifts to language of shepherding in verse 11, which is the text that we will look at this morning. And I'm considering here with you this text under this title, Christ the Model Pastor. Christ the Model Pastor. And you have it here prophesied in Isaiah 40 verse 11. But in the example of Christ, you, you of course have things to glean for everyone that takes up the office of bishop. Note with me as we look at this text with the Lord's help, the pastor has a general work. He has a general Work. The opening lines of Isaiah 40, 11, He shall feed his flock like a shepherd. That's the general work. And it reduces us to the whole theme of Messiah as the shepherd of his people. It's not a new theme. We, we sang Isaiah, uh, or rather Psalm 23, where we see the Lord as our shepherd. And all through the Scriptures you have peppered this idea of God being the shepherd of his people, and specifically the one who will come who is Messiah. When he comes in John chapter 10, you have that greatest exposition of his place, of his role, of his work as the shepherd, the good shepherd of his people who gives his life for the sheep. The sheep hear his voice and they follow him. Now this is the primary work then that the shepherd gives himself to. It is to feed the flock, to shepherd the flock, to it's involving all that is needed in shepherding in this opening line. It kind of pulls in every aspect of his work. And as Logan goes down to Orlando, he, he has to recognize this as his primary work. And those of you called to ministry or feeling the call to ministry need to see that this is your primary work. It is to shepherd the flock. Now that does not mean that you don't give yourself to evangelism. You have to have a heart for the lost. And there should be a burden for the lost, and far too often there is within a ministry a kind of cold indifference to the lost that doesn't go out after those that are perishing. Logan needs to maintain this desire to reach lost souls, but, but, his overarching work is that of a shepherd and a shepherd to the people of God, specifically. Even the Apostle Paul, who was one of the greatest evangelists, that we, we know of in the entire history of humanity, even he acknowledged that 
It wasn't so much the lost that he was burdened to stay on this earth to reach, but the people of God. Remember in Philippians chapter 1 where he said, I have a desire to depart, to, to be with Christ. Nevertheless, not that the world is perishing, but it's more needful that he stays for you, for the church. This is because he had the shepherd's heart. He understood to abide in the flesh was needful for the church, even more so than a perishing world. So the pastor has a general work. Our Lord Jesus gives himself and has done everything necessary to feed his flock. And part of that work is appointing pastors, overseers, elders, those who will teach the Word and feed the flock. So how, how might we consider this general work? First of all, he feeds by the Word. He feeds them by the Word. To feed the flock means that you have something to feed them. What has a preacher got but, but the gospel and the word of God revealed wherein the gospel is revealed? This is what he has. I was speaking recently to a Christian that uh, they go to a different church. I'll just say that. You know, one of those ones where you, you kind of look at and you don't want to be too critical, but you can't help but have certain criticisms that arise in your mind. Huge, big church, massive operation, whole kind of corporate thing going on in its life and structure. And as I was talking to them, they they sharing some struggles. And I interacted and asked about various matters and so on. And then one of the last things I asked was, well, do you think, you know, are, are you being fed? I mean, are you being fed on the Word? Are you feeling your soul fed, that you're being nourished on, on Christ? Language like that was what I used in asking them. And, uh, and they acknowledged, not really. I said, do you not think that may be in part what, what, what is playing a part in how you're feeling right now? It's not just the circumstances. It's the fact that you're facing these circumstances as difficult as they are, and we talked through them. As difficult as they are, you're facing them without being nourished in the Word. And they acknowledged it. They acknowledged it. They, they admitted that that was the case. So, it, it, this is a hard thing to measure. You, you, it's, it's, not, it's not easy. It's not, you, it's not like you can measure... The, the, the spiritual uh, calorie intake of, of each believer. There's no way of measuring that. You can't just look at it and say, well, I've got my calories I need for the day and so on. You can't see it. It's not as perceptible as the physical food that we need to survive. But nonetheless, it's a real thing. If you're not being nourished in the Word, you're going to find a deficiency in your heart. And so it's not just the challenges of life that oppress, but the weakness that you're facing in your soul that is making it even more difficult to face. Logan then has a responsibility. He has a responsibility to preach the Word, to feed the flock on the Word. And, you know, you can, you can assess many sermons today, and often you find that they are giving people what they want rather than what they need. They give what people want rather than what they need. Now, Every parent knows what happens if you allow the child to dictate the weekly menu. It will be chocolate and ice cream for every meal. And will they want it? Sure, sure. Will they be excited at every meal? Absolutely. More breakfast, lunch, dinner, more chocolate, more ice cream. And they'll be thinking they're having a great old time. And so the experience of it may be profound and memorable and notable. But they will not grow. And no sooner have they finished the meal, but they're immediately the body is, is like burning through the fuel like nothing. And before they, before they know it, they're feeling weak and they're crashing and they don't have the stamina and the strength to sustain what they need ahead. And so every parent knows it doesn't matter what you want. This is what you need. You need your meat and veg. You need your chicken and veg, you know, including your cooked or uncooked veg, whatever. <laughs> some, there's a joke there that some of you, you may not be aware of. People like to tease me about my uncooked veg. Anyway, not get into that again. You need it. You need that which is nutritious to the soul. And so Logan needs to understand this. He will have people before him, and they will have various, various needs, and they may express wants that they think will satisfy those needs, but he has to understand what he is called to do and what is necessary in order 
like Christ, what it means to feed the flock. He shall feed his flock like a shepherd. So I trust our brother will give souls what they need. And that he will prepare sermons with an eye to what they need rather than what they want. An eye to the glory of God and Christ as mediator and the, the, all the aspects of, of his role as prophet, priest, and king. That, that is those themes, those truths as they're weaved out through Scripture that will truly satisfy. At the end of the day, if you're going to lead sheep to pasture, the pasture is Christ. That's what they need to feast upon. And if we're giving people that, they will grow. Every preacher needs to know that his general ministry to his people must flow out of their study of Christ rather than their study of culture and politics or the people themselves. Now, there are needs at times where you need to address where people are or even in a cultural point and moment in which you need to speak to that issue. But the meat and potatoes is this, this like an outflow of your own study of Christ. That's what you give them. And listen, it's not meant to make sense to the world and to the carnal mind. Remember, this is foolishness. It's foolishness. Well, preacher, I feel like it would be better that you, you go to the, the experts of our day. At the end of the day, the Christian life is, is, is practical. We need to live. We're, we're living in this world. We need practical advice to live in this world. So, so go to all the self-help books. Master the latest knowledge with regard to how to advance in this world and give that to the people. And if you're really clever, you can mask it in Christian language so that they, they think that this is actually coming from God's Word. Now, that's what a charlatan does. And that's what someone who actually preaches with unbelief in his heart does. He doesn't believe that it is Christ that, that the people feed upon. He doesn't believe that it's Christ that nourishes the soul. He thinks it's all the practical aspects of life. They will go away with these little thoughts. Oh, you know, this is really helpful for, for me understanding my finances or, or marriage or raising children and all the rest. Are there practical aspects? Yes. But, but real growth, real advancement is something, it's something that doesn't make sense. It is foolishness to the world that, that, that a people can advance in godliness and obey God and their little homes can be called, they can be Bethels unto God. They, that, that occurs when the priority is Christ. As a father, I need Christ. As a mother, I need Christ. As an employer, I need Christ. As an employee, I need Christ. As a student, I need Christ. In whatever area of life, I need my soul feasting on Christ. And all the voices to give yourself to other things, you need to drown it out as you like Yes, like those on the Mount of Transfiguration who, who need to see the distractions, Moses and Elijah disappear, and to see none save Jesus only. Jesus said, remember in John 6.35, I am the bread of life. He that cometh to me shall never hunger. He that believeth in me shall never thirst. That's not just a once for all thing. That, that's the experience of the believer. He is the bread of life. You don't eat once and then walk away and dine on other breads. You don't go to other sweet breads and what the, the world's croissants and all the other things that they offer. Christ is the bread of life. That is what the preacher puts before the people. And they may want, they may want other things. Listen, they may want it. I, I, it's, it's a real thing where they, their hearts crave after something else. And the preacher has this temptation as he, he begins to sense as he grows in his ministry and awareness of the effect that it's having, that there, there is this kind of voice, no, we want something else. It's dangerous ground, really dangerous ground. In 2 Timothy chapter 4, you see this warning given by Paul to Timothy, where he says in 2 Timothy 4, many of you will know the passage well, I charge thee therefore before God, and the Lord Jesus Christ, who shall judge the quick and the dead at His appearing and His kingdom, preach the word. Be instant in season, out of season. Reprove, rebuke, exhort with all longsuffering and doctrine. Those are, those are, those are helpful terms, rightly understood. This, this, isn't, this isn't tidbits and TED Talks. This, this is Christ and His law. 
put before the hearts of men. The time will come when they will not endure sound doctrine, but after their own lusts shall they heat to themselves teachers, having itching ears, and they shall turn away their ears from the truth and shall be turned unto fables. Yes. So pray for Logan. God gives him a backbone. That's it's always a, those first few years of ministry, tenuous. You know, you're just not sure how, how will they bet in. Because you, you, you don't know. You, you don't know until it's tested. You really don't know. It's like the, the seminary can teach you all the things you need to know and, and you can have an internship and you can deal with matters of character and problems and ministerial issues and you can try to do everything, foresee every eventuality, which you know you can't do, but you're doing your best to prepare. But the man, you don't know what manner of man he will be until he's in the furnace. He's being tested by all the opinions and the noise and the clamor and the desire and the carnality and the disappointments and everything. And it starts to break you. It's very easy. So, what will Logan do? I trust by God's grace he will feed those that God gives him the Word and put Christ before them. He also feeds them by his sacraments. Christ calls for men, women, and children to be admitted into the visible church by the sacrament of baptism. And those that know Christ to be nourished by the Lord's Supper. And it is nourishing. The Lord's table is meant to nourish us. In the words of the confession, it's for, quote, their spiritual nourishment and growth in Him. And so Logan is given the, the power, the authority, the right to conduct the sacraments and in the authority of Christ to do that before the people, and he will need to do that regularly. Much more could be said there, and I'll say briefly just one other thing. He feeds them by prayer. Logan will need to do the job of the shepherd in regards to teaching his congregation to pray, or relearning how to pray, or understanding the importance of prayer. Our Lord Jesus did this. One of the things he did was constantly pull his disciples alongside him in an environment of prayer teaching them to pray. And not just momentary prayers that are shut up in a few seconds, but extended seasons of prayer in the Garden of Gethsemane and other places. They needed understanding of the importance of prayer. And this, this is how you feed the flock. It's actually one of the ways in which I think even those of us who subscribe to the Westminster Confession forget the place of prayer in the growth of saints. The Confession says this regarding saving faith. Quote, the grace of faith whereby the elect are enabled to believe to the saving of their souls is the work of the Spirit of Christ in their hearts and is ordinarily wrought by the ministry of the Word, by which also, and by the administration of the sacraments and prayer, it is increased and strengthened. By prayer, it is increased and strengthened. And so Logan has, he needs to understand that. And the day whenever the prayer meeting, even among those that sign this confession, which stipulates that prayer is a means to the growth and the feeding of the flock, and they're abandoning it, he needs to resist that temptation. He needs to teach them, pull them in, understand the importance of prayer, the place of prayer. So the pastor has a general work. And you see it there. He shall feed his flock like a shepherd. What a work this is. I've just touched on it. He shall feed his flock like a shepherd. If you spend your entire life doing this, the Word, sacrament, and prayer. Give your, give your life to that. Give your life to it. Like your whole being is given over to Word, sacrament, prayer. What do you do for a living? Word, sacrament, prayer. Well, once you've done that, then what do you do? Word, sacrament, prayer. Well, do you not get tired? No. More Word, more sacrament, more prayer. That's what people need. This is what shows them Christ and feeds their souls. That's the general work. But secondly, the pastor has a gathering work. He has a gathering work. He shall gather the lambs with his arm and carry them in his bosom. There seems to be here an expression that highlights Christ's work for those that we might say are cumbered with weakness. They need to be gathered, lifted up, brought near. Our Lord Jesus does not despise the weak. The world does. 
if you're weak in an intense uh, commercial environment, if you're weak in business, if you're, if you're weak at a, a place where there's a lot of pressure or responsibility on you, or even, even in, even, I mean, if, if you're weak and you're working for Amazon, they'll get rid of you faster than you have any idea what's going on. They'll get rid of you. There's no time for the weak. This world has no time for the weak. But Christ does. Read later in Isaiah 42, verse 3, A bruised reed shall he not break, and the smoking flax shall he not quench. And the disciples exemplified this weakness. I mean, the ones, the ones appointed by Christ gathered around him in the inner circle. They, they had great weakness right up to the end. Right up to the end. What did they do? They forsake him. Even after they declared they would not. Yet they do. After the resurrection, he has to, Christ has to upbraid them for their unbelief. They're still weak. Manifesting weakness. And each congregation has its strong believers and its weaker believers. And of course, that's not a permanent setting. You don't stay strong and you're not invincible. Those who are strong today may be weak tomorrow. And those weak today may be strong tomorrow. So we, we, we restore, even when we are in a place of restoring people in a spirit of meekness, lest thou also are tempted. Be very careful in our assessment of our own perceived strength. But inevitably, each congregation has its more stronger, more mature, well-rooted believers as well as those that are weaker. And so what are you to do? What is Logan to do? What is each pastor to do? He is to gather the lambs with his arm like the Lord Jesus and carry them in his bosom. So two things we might consider here. First, it requires seeking. It requires seeking. You you can't gather the the lambs with your arm unless you seek them. Like the Lord Jesus who leaves the 90 and 9 and goes after the one that is lost. He has to have that desire, that longing to go after that he might gather them. That's what the Lord did, isn't it? He went after the one that was lost to gather them. And so this is what Logan needs to do as well. And it will be a fine balancing act. (laughs) Well, because he is going to a congregation at this present moment that have... They've weathered great storms, let's just say. I mean, if there's, if there's people still sitting there in that church, they have weathered a great storm. They have been without a pastor for a long time. They had the hope of a pastor. It was all ready. It was all kind of, the T's were stroked and the I's were dotted and, and there was a man ready to go and then COVID happened. And they couldn't get over. And the whole thing was done away with, cast aside. And they've had to endure that disappointment and, and keep on being resilient to such discouragements. And if they're, if they're still there, there are people that have weathered a great storm. And so these aren't the people that will be obvious and needing to be carried, the gathering of them. But if God blesses Logan's ministry, as if he blesses any ministry, others will gather in, new people will come in. And given our current spiritual climate, the likely, likelihood is they're going to be weaker. The ones who gather in will be weaker. And so it's going to require a lot of energy from him to, to gather these lambs with his arm, to put his arm around them, and to be able to pull them in and help them. And it not only requires seeking, but it requires carrying them, because it says, then carry them in his bosom. Again, this is, this is not easy work. Our Lord Jesus again displayed this, especially whenever the the mothers brought their children to him. You remember Mark 10. I'll read those verses from verse 13 because it wonderfully exemplifies our Lord Jesus in this this use of his his attribute of, of taking the weak and carrying them, lifting them up. Mark 10, 13, they brought young children to him that he should touch them. And his disciples rebuked those that brought them. But when Jesus saw it, he was much displeased. And said unto them, Suffer the little children to come unto me, and forbid them not, for of such is the kingdom of God. Verily I say unto you, Whosoever shall not receive the kingdom of God as a little child, he shall not enter therein. And he took them up in his arms, put his hands upon them, and blessed them. Took them up. Frail believers. 
Well, they may profess faith for years. They might have been saved for a long time, but they're frail. They're frail. And they come across your path, and they're there before you. And, and sometimes the frailty brings a certain amount of frustration. That's why the businesses get rid of you. When you're frail and you're weak, they don't have the patience to keep you. And they show you the door. There's no place for you here. But in the church, it cannot have that mentality. We're not to have that, that, that inclination like the world has toward the weak. And so some will come in and Logan will face this. He will experience it. Frail believers, very weak. Very weak. And sometimes they will be strong, but then they will enter into periods of weakness on the brink of disaster in their faith, in their marriage, experiences because of sin in them or in the family, addiction in them, in the family, mental health issues again in them or in the family, and you're literally having to carry them. You're having to carry them. I've been there. It's like you're, you're, you're doing everything. Your power is just constantly there, and you, and you think that you've, you've got them through, and you've managed to get them past, and then all of a sudden, again, they're like, they're on the phone, or they're, they're texting, or saying, please help me here, or whatever. I mean, I, it, it is challenging, and you're carrying, and you're carrying, and you're carrying. And you need, I'll tell you, you need, you need a big heart. This is the privilege. It is a privilege. It is a privilege. Because a pastor is in a position of strength. He's not in a position of strength for his own benefit. He's in a position of strength for the benefit of others. And you hear pastors talk in such a way like, oh, I would have a great church if it wasn't for the people. or You know, this sort of stuff. Or the kind of victim mentality, oh, the things I'm going through, woe woe's me. Man up, man! Man up! This is what you're called to. Does it get hard? Yes! But instead of, instead of complaining about it, like, like a person who has the ability to walk or has his faculties might complain about the responsibilities that come with that, in the presence of someone who has not those faculties. How dare you? You're in a place of strength. And you're there so you might help people. Not so you might complain about all the responsibilities that it brings. And the fact that people are always needing your help. So you have to, you have to learn to carry. To carry people. Sometimes you'll be carrying people literally for years. You'll carry them for years. And it'll feel so long and so hard and so difficult, and you're, you just keep on carrying them. And, but there will come a point, at least this has been my experience, there comes a point where you realize, I, don't, I actually don't have to do it anymore. They're actually standing, and they're, they're going forward, and they're, they're, they're advancing, and they're, they're growing, and they're progressing, and they've moved on to, to other heights and forms of service for God. And that's glorious when you see it. You see the Lord work in that way. So you have this, this important work of gathering. Logan, if you hear me, brother, you need to gather the lambs with your arm and carry them in your bosom. You do that whatever way you know how to the best of your ability. Even though it may sleepless nights and you'll be weary and you've been up early in the morning and, and yet you're being kept up late at night and and you know, you know, because of your time, you want to get up in the morning. But this person needs you. They need you at 10.30 and 11, 11.30 and at 12. And you need to be there. Gather the lambs with your arm. You carry them in your bosom. Thirdly, finally, the pastor has a guiding work. He has a guiding work. Because he is to gently lead those that are with young. The image of, is of a mother feeding her young and being gently led. And if you can see it in this way, it's Christ's tenderness to those who in, in God's providence are burdened with responsibilities. In God's providence, they're burdened with responsibilities. In this case, it's the scene of a mother. You know, an independent woman who doesn't have children is much freer. And she can run around and do whatever she likes, but, but when she has little ones, 
It slows everything down. Everything takes 10 times longer. You can't even leave the house without it being a whole ordeal. It's an event to get out of the house. All right, you mothers know. Some of you are smiling. You know exactly what it's like. Before you just got ready, you know, did your hair and so on, and off you went. You know, so, so smooth. Then you have children. <laughs> it's no longer smooth. Man, you're, you're trying to get yourself together and get them together, and sometimes you're more successful with them than you are with yourself. And you're getting out the door, and it's tough. Well, those are the kind of people that the Lord has in mind here. They're burdened with in providence. They have things in their life. And it's not just motherhood. It has all sorts of applications. And this depicts the work then of the shepherd in his work towards such, especially counseling them, leading them, gently lead those that are with young. You have this illustrated in the, in the life of Jacob and that occasion when, you know, he's been praying all night in the prospect of facing Esau, and he goes there, and there's reconciliation. Glorious answer to prayer, wonderful divine intervention there. In Genesis 33, after they reconcile, it tells us in Genesis 33, verse 12, and he said, let us take our journey. This is Esau speaking. Let us take our journey. Let us go, and I will go before thee. And Jacob said unto him, My Lord knoweth that the children are tender, and the flocks and herds with young are with me. And if men should overdrive them one day, all the flock will die. Let my Lord, I pray thee, pass over before a servant, and I will lead on softly, according as the cattle that goeth before me, and the children be able to endure until I come unto my Lord, unto Seir. Jacob was very wise. There are other aspects of what's going on here, but you see the practical reason that he gives. I need to let them set the pace. In the providence of God, they, they, I, they're in this condition of life, and so I need to be gentle. That's what it says. Gently lead those that are with young. And what you find in the pastorate, you find parents raising children in the church need guidance. Youth in the church need help in deciding their future. They, they need guidance. They need gently led. The young adults will come to you wondering about a spouse, seeking a spouse. They will need guidance. Adults taking care of their parents sometimes, they will need guidance. Families suffering poverty, they will need guidance. And you, you gently lead them. And so it's constant counsel. Constant counsel people in their scenarios, in, in their difficulties, and, and, and God so appoints the pastor in a position where he can gently lead, where he ought to gently lead those that are cumbered by the providences of God. They need extra help. You see this in a passage I've mentioned to you many times because it's etched into my mind, because every time I, I feel the challenge of of my work sometimes, I remember Second Timothy 2, verse 24, the servant of the Lord must not strive, must not be contentious, but be gentle unto all, apt to teach, patient, in meekness instructing those that oppose themselves. You can go on there and read that passage in the context of it, but it has a lot of general application to the servant of the Lord's attitude and applying it right here. Gently leading. Gently leading. Patience, meekness, not contentious. These are the characteristics. You don't have people set before you and you just like drill them and this is what to do. Or you make them feel stupid because they can't see things the way that it seems so clear to you. You're gentle. So, Logan, be gentle. And that's part of the issue when you're young. You enter into the ministry in your youth. You, there's, a, there's a certain impatience that comes with youth. Isn't there? You know, like you're, you tend to be a little more impatient when you're young. I know you can get impatient when you're older too. I, it can happen that way also. That's certainly one characteristic to be aware of. And so I, war, I, warn, I warn you, brother, gently lead, gently lead. You may have to repeat yourself over and over again, but gently lead. 
So, so this, this is the work of our Lord Jesus Christ. He shall feed his flock like a shepherd. He shall gather the lambs with his arm and carry them in his bosom and shall gently lead those that are with young. And this is, this is he came. He came to do this work. I mean, it's not an easy work. And the Son of God condescends into this world to take on this role. And he does it to a degree that no under-shepherd can even begin to understand. Because he was called upon to lay down his life, literally, in the most awful manner imaginable. To go to a Roman cross, bear the sins, not just the complaints or the problems or the challenges of the flock, but the sins of the flock to bear the sins of the flock and take them to the cross and bear them away by the sacrifice of himself. That's the good shepherd. So those of us called to be under shepherds, we seek by his grace to model. And what an honor it is. So pray, pray that God will give to Logan and to Amelia wisdom beyond their years, grace for this immense task, joy in doing it. And should he walk down there, heading into Florida, going into Orlando, kind of in a buoyant, you know, this is great, looking forward to it, hyped up about it, the congregation's hyped. You know, God, God may, you know, there, I guess there's various ways it can go, but he may just be brought down to earth immediately. And be sitting asking himself and talking to his wife, what have we done? <laughs> what are we going to do here? And I haven't even, I haven't, you know, I haven't even got into the, the labor, the labor in the, the, the general work. Like the, the word, the word, when the, when the text won't, won't just open up for you, when you're, you're struggling to know how to, how to take it or where to go or what to say and how to apply and you're like wrestling, oh Lord, please, feel like the servant of the prophet. You can't see. You need God to open your eyes. But he is able. So pray for him. Pray that God will give them a, a very enjoyable commencement. And uh, the, Lord, the Lord will revive that church and add people because he, he needs more elders. And he needs deacons. He needs support. He needs men around him. And he needs people that will stand with him and pray for him and not just appear on Sunday morning and it comes to Wednesday night prayer meeting and he's sitting there on his own with his wife. And people come and lay hold upon the throne of grace with him and seek the blessing of God. So let us keep them very near to our hearts. Let us carry them in our own prayers. And may God mightily bless them. And may we hear great news. Let's bow together in prayer. Again, this is, it's joyful to think of this. God has answered one of my most pressing burdens. And I am very, very encouraged. And so let us not rest at this point. Let us press on as a church. And we pray for other families and other young men and the best, the best of our youth that God would single them out and burden them as he has the likes of John and Logan and raise them up to go and preach his word. Oh God, we thank thee for our Savior, the Lord Jesus, and the perfect example he is in his shepherding role. We can never, never be too thankful for what he has done for us. And we are where we are, and we are what we are by his grace. It is because he came seeking for me, seeking for me. How wonderful to have a shepherd like this, so patient and tender. Oh, Lord Jesus, amidst our weaknesses, continue to be patient with us and strengthen us and feed us 
and green pastures and lead us beside still waters. And may this pulpit be what you would have it to be in nourishing this congregation on the finest of the wheat. We pray, Lord, that you will bless Logan and Amelia and bless them as a couple in their marriage and bless them in their role as parents to Obadiah and bless them in their responsibility as Christians and also as Logan is ordained and installed as a minister of Orlando. We pray that the Holy Spirit will come upon him. The power of God would rest upon him and he would be mightily equipped for the work of the ministry. May they know very soon that a man of God is in their midst. They haven't just conveniently found a preacher, but God in his mercy has sent them a man after his own heart. So God, give unction and power, and may that congregation flourish as they are nourished in Christ and all the glories of thy word. So bless us as we part from this place, keep the fear of God in our hearts, the joy of the Lord in our souls, and sanctify the afternoon to us and bring us back again tonight. We look forward to meeting again and pray that thou wilt be with us. And everyone who participates tonight, may they have great joy in their participation. May thy word go forth with power and all of our songs of praise ascend to heaven that we might be glad in our God. So hear us. Now unto him that is able to keep you from falling, to present you faultless before the presence of his glory with exceeding joy. To the only wise God, our Savior, be glory and majesty, dominion and power both now and ever. Amen.